0: And welcome to ChamberCast, the Billings Chamber of Commerce's podcast. I'm your host, Jack Genoa. I am really excited for this week's episode because we are joined by this year's Billings Chamber Legacy Award winners, Jim and Chris Scott. Thank you both for joining me.
1: Thanks, man. Well, Nice to be here.
0: And my celebrity guest host this week is the Billings Chamber's Communications and Marketing Manager, Kelsey Gamble. Welcome, Kelsey. Thanks, Jack. So I'm just going to start by reading a little bit of your biographies for any of our listeners who are being introduced to you for the first time. Jim, your dad was an engineer uh, and you were born in a construction camp on the side of the road in Wyoming. Uh, Later, your family started the Padlock Ranch down in Wyoming. You moved to Billings in 1977 and transformed First Interstate Bank into what it is today, Grew it to the largest bank in Montana, and now you're expanding into other states. And throughout all of that time, you both did a lot of philanthropic work. You were integral parts of the Western Heritage Center, the Alberta Bear Theater, Yellowstone Art Museum. So When the two of you look back on all of that, what would you say you're the most proud of?
1: Well, first of all, Jack, I wasn't born on the side of the road, and uh, <laughs> I think my two older brothers were uh, were born at a time our dad was working in construction camps. But I was living in; they were living in Sheridan okay. when I when I was born. So I was born in a hospital. Okay, on the side of the road. You know, I I think uh, I'd say just being members of these com- this community and raising three wonderful kids,
2: Chris. Well, I would agree with Jim. You know, this year we're married 50 years and it's been in Billings since 1977. So this has been home. You know, the organizations that we've all been a part of here in Billings, we've watched grow and it's been really rewarding to be a part of it.
0: Is there anything I, I left out of that biography that either of you would like to highlight?
1: Oh, you know, maybe i give you just a little bit more background on the family and and how first interstate became what it was because it really ties into that story my folks were born at the end of the 19th century and beginning the 20th century in nebraska were married in the depression went to work for a little construction company in omaha called peter kewitt sons construction and uh our dad opened the first office for peter kewitt outside of Omaha in Sheridan, in 1936. That's where they live for the rest of their lives, and they fell in love with the community. And uh, so I'd say all of the I have four siblings, and and uh, and they're all married with other kids as well. But that commitment to community that we saw uh, evidenced by them in Sheridan, experienced by them in Sheridan, and other places. Really formed the DNA, say of of uh, of the family, which then the bank initially Security Bank, and then became First Interstate in the eighties. Was really based upon that experience uh, that we had in growing up in Sheridan.
3: It's perfect. And then, of course, um, tell us a little bit more about the history of of building FIB into what it is today.
1: Well, yeah, it was uh, so. Dad uh, retired from the construction business in 1968 and had to liquidate his ownership in in that company that stayed private. And he had been on the Federal Reserve Board before that. And so he understood banking and bought the controlling interest of the small bank in Sheridan. In 68 and 71, he came to Billings and the family bought the old security bank, which was the largest independent bank in Montana. And I had two brothers that were involved in it. Then Brother Scott, he was in state in Wyoming, and Brother Tom moved to uh, Billings. And then I came in seventy six Chris and I came in seventy six to coal strip. That was my first job, and then came to Billings in seventy seven. And I always joke, I think my two brothers had kind of sibling rivalry to see who could uh, grow the faster and and uh, <laughs> so the company expanded into places like Miles City and Buffalo and and had other new banks in the suburbs. And anyway, yeah, in in the 80s, um, branching was becoming uh, possible and legal. And so up until that point, all of our banks were independent banks with their own boards and ran independently, and uh, they all had different names. I went to a conference one time and heard about something called the First Interstate Franchise. First Interstate was the old Western Bank Corporation, had banks in 11 Western States and the United States, Western States. They changed the name to First Interstate and the rebranding was so successful, they decided to franchise that name. And it was a way for us to not argue whose name was the best, but to, uh, to use First Interstate. And so we were a franchisee, paid them a fee and wore their name. Our customers were able to go wherever their banks were in all over the country western states and places like casper and great falls and Kalispell, where they had banks but we didn't so that was the history of the first interstate name we built the first interstate tower here in billings that same year that we became first interstate and that was a great deal for us but in the late 90s first interstate sold to wells fargo and so the Wells Fargo CFO came to town and we said, well, we'll change our name to Wells Fargo. And at that point, Wells Fargo said, we don't want a franchisee and we'd rather not be in in Montana or Wyoming. And so we kept the name and were able to acquire their banks in Aliceville, Great Falls, Riverton, Casper, and Laramie. So that was a time when the company grew significantly. And it was after that then in the late 90s and early 2000s that first interstate became the largest bank in Montana, second largest in Wyoming. And then in 08, we moved for the first time out of Montana and Wyoming to South Dakota and went to the West, West River, the Black Hills. And, and so that was a great expansion for us. But in 2010, that was the great recession. Uh, and we went public. We needed to make sure we had enough capital for the future. And so we became a public company for the first time, no longer a family company, and continued to grow. Now, First Interstate is in a lot of other states and is a much larger company.
0: What was it like going from that sibling rivalry Hmm. where each of you kind of were doing your own thing to consolidating into one organization?
1: It was an interesting time. I've said you're the youngest of five kids that all worked together governance becomes an an expertise Mm -hmm. of yours. And one of the things that we did is I remember, uh, we remember going to another conference and learning about management by values and being intentional about what your values are. And um, we began to focus on that. And it was really that focus on values that brought uh, us together and and then brought brought the companies together as we continue to grow. And so we we really became a values-based family. We were always were, but I think we were intentional about those values and then became a values-based company.
0: One thing I was really curious about is, well, number one, how that sort of value-based management contributed to the success of FIB. But specifically, how did that help you navigate the Great Recession? Because I know during that time, a lot of people turned against banks and especially big banks. And mm-hmm. you being the biggest fish in the local pond here, how do you think those those values helped you continue to grow through all of that?
1: Well, I think focus on on our people, focus on our customers and and the communities, but importantly on the long term. Uh, you know, I think for a while in 08 and 09, we wondered if the Great Recession would come to this part of the country, and it clearly did. But I think that focus on the long term allowed us to stay with our clients longer. Nobody was unscathed by the by the Great Recession, but I think the patience, the focus on the long term, and employees, our clients, and the communities made it something we survived.
2: Mm-hmm. And maybe you could talk a little bit, Jim, about when you started the First Interstate Bank Foundation. That was new for the family and really gave back into the communities that we really said we were a part of, a community banks.
1: Yeah, thanks, Chris. That was in the early 90s. I stopped being a banker for a while and was involved with the chamber and lots of other things, but we uh, created the First Interstate Bank Foundation. It was a, really a way to ensure that our commitment to the communities would continue. And there was some quality control of, of the things that we were supporting. But it grew from a small element of the, of the company to I think something that's been important in the long term. It was about that same time that our dad died and they had a foundation, the Homer and Mildred Scott Foundation in Sheridan. I became the chair of that in the early days. And that was really a lot of time, of kind of some of the public stuff that I was doing. We also had a couple of little babies, I think, in our house. And and, uh, that was some of the private stuff that we were doing.
3: And it was at that time that Chris got involved with the philanthropy efforts here in Billings, right? I I did. I
2: did. I tell the story that um, uh, when I got involved in working outside of the home was when women were just starting to work outside of the home. I was influenced by a lot of really wonderful women around Billings. I remember um, Senior Hart, for instance, who was very involved in historic work around town and protected and saved the Will James home, Leroy Green's home, the Stapleton Building downtown. You know, a woman by the name of Gail Waller, her husband, used to be a, a bank president here in town. And I worked with her on an organization called Landmarks early on. Um, where I worked with women to do some of the first historic surveys here in town of Montana Avenue, Clark Avenue. I worked with Judy McNally to help save and protect the Moss mansion early on here in the city. So there were some women that were really working outside of raising children at uh, you know, their free time and volunteering their time. You know, the early on, I got involved in in um, volunteering at the Yellowstone Art. Center, it was called then, um, and then eventually went on the board and, and um, worked during the transformation from the Art Center to the Art Museum. So there were a lot of great role models and women doing volunteer work here in town.
0: And a lot of your philanthropic work has been focused on arts, history, and, and culture. What inspired you to focus on those areas?
2: Well, I, I think just for me, the different people that I was involved with, as I say, different women here in town, um, inspired me. You know, I grew up, I came to the West in the 1960s, but I grew up in Lexington, Massachusetts, where the Revolutionary Battle started. And, and so history and, and uh, the sense of history and place was important to me, making my war, way in the in the West at that time. So... That's, I cared about that. Um, that's why I got involved with historic preservation early on. I've always loved the, I love the visual arts, and so getting involved uh, with the art museum was great. I have to say for myself, I got involved. Jim and I were asked, um, we tell the story that we were asked in, a, in the Rex Bar to join the Nature Conservancy, which is a, a conservation organization that's now the world's largest conservation organization, but is very decentralized. So that every state in the United States has its own chapter and its own staff, its own board. For 20 years, I worked for them on their board. Then at 2000, I think I went on their national fiduciary board and then served on their board in Argentina and California. So it was an organization that I cared a lot about and cared about open space conservation. Got to meet some great scientists, learned how to do bird watching. So... Those are the kind of things that we've enjoyed doing.
0: We're going to pause for a brief moment to thank our sponsor for this episode.
1: I've been reminded that uh, the sponsor of this program and a sponsor of even the the Chamber Dinner uh, event the other night is Payne West Insurance, and I want to put in a plug for them, but in particular for Terry Payne, uh, who happens to live in Missoula. But if you're looking for award winners... Uh, he's been an inspiration for me and was on our board for a long time. And, and he's he has done more for this state than most people know.
0: They really are a great company to work with, as you will hear from these satisfied Payne West customers.
3: Hi, we're Courtney and John McKee, and we're the owners of Headframe Spirits in Butte, America. Interestingly, Payne West wasn't our first uh, insurance company. What mattered most to us was a relationship with any of our professional service providers where we get to treat each other like we're on the same team, who counsel us, who advise us. And that's what we found when we talked to
2: Payne West.
0: So are you both directly still directly involved with the foundation?
2: f i b Foundation. Yeah. Well, Jim is.
1: I'm on the board, yeah. And uh, I'd say that we have a small foundation that we work with, with our, with our daughter primarily. We can talk about that. That works largely on the Crow and Northern Cheyenne Reservation. Along the way, I'd, I'd say I was involved in the arts to some extent. One of my favorite times was working with great friends on the Alberta Bear, what, the Fox Theater, turning that into what's now the Alberta Bear. But, it, but, but at the same time, I was, that was when I was involved with the chamber and did a lot of economic development work. One of the things I really enjoyed was uh, back about the 90s, working with a good friend, at uh, the University of Montana, economic geographer named Larry Swanson. We got a small grant from the Ford Foundation to better understand regional economies. Economies don't stop at a city boundary or at a mm-hmm. county line. They kind of exist in space in a in a geography and so we did a lot of research on better understanding montana's regional geographies and then how reservation economies fit within or uh, or how can it fit within better so over the years with that work and then uh started in coal strip i spent time in lame deer we opened a branch in lame deer and uh, along the way i got to know janine pease when she was running the Little Bighorn College, and she got me on the American Indian College Fund Board. Importantly, in the 90s, when I was on the Montana Community Foundation, I met a woman named Eloise Cobell. And uh, Eloise uh, was a Blackfeet woman who was the treasurer of the tribe and realized all of the problems that individual Indian people have with the management of their funds and trust funds. She won the largest class action suit ever in the country, um, And after fighting that for about 10, probably 15 years, and died just before the announcement of the award. But uh, she became an extremely close friend and colleague. She was on the First Interstate Foundation board. She was on the Nature Conservancy board. And so it was those experiences that really got me, one, to understand that economies are not bounded by city boundaries, and they, they include the neighborhood. Growing up in Sheridan and, and living in Billings, I spent a lot of time on the Crow and Northern Cheyenne Reservations. And so our, our focus of these days is not exclusively, but largely on helping improve the economy and the environment and the social conditions down in our neighboring uh, Northern Cheyenne and Crow Reservations.
2: We're lucky enough to have a little uh, foundation between uh, our family that we use, Um, and we've worked with our three children to match the grants that they'd like to give to their little communities. And um, we're proud of the work that we do as a family. We come together once a year and talk about the kind of things that we're interested in and um, in the past have matched their donations to the kind of things that they want to do. Also,
0: That's really, really cool and the and you know the economic research is really timely right now because i think a lot of people are you know after the covid shock everybody is paying a little bit of extra attention to all of those economic indicators right now and we talk all the time at the at the chamber about how you know billings really is a regional hub you know our our economy and here in billings really does rise and fall based on what's happening in the surrounding communities yes for sure yeah makes a big difference so can you can you share anything uh, anything counterintuitive that you learned from some of that research?
1: Oh, not counterintuitive. I think it's all kind of intuitive if you understand it, but we did things like uh, analyze the hospital's uh, patient um, addresses and the who received the Billings Gazette uh, and where they lived. And, and it just proved, uh, among other things, that we are all connected. This urban-rural uh, is not divided, it's connected. And um, a lot of the benefit that exists for the rural communities has to do with getting the benefit of being part of our, the, this, this, this larger urban-rural connection. So I don't think that was anti-intuitive, but um, sometimes people think of their own neighbor. you know, mm-hmm. people should think of their own na- neighborhood because uh, that's, that's important too. But the connections are bigger than neighborhoods, bigger than towns, bigger than counties. And uh, it's how we all work together.
3: True network of communities um, intertwined and interconnected.
1: That's right. That's right. Many businesses uh, are interconnected by definition and have Mm -hmm. distribution around the region. Others are just relationships. The chamber is a good example. This is the Billings Chamber but your relationship, our relationship with the chamber throughout the region uh, add to its vitality for sure.
0: You've both played a really r- large role in shaping Billings into what it is today over the last 25 years. When you look ahead to the next 25 years, what do you hope Billings looks like at that time?
2: I hope that we will work at, first of all, Dealing with issues around climate change. For me, that's really important. And so does that mean that we all figure out how to maybe walk more, use public transportation, EV cars? I mean, I'd like to think that that's coming in the future when you talk about 25 years. I care a lot about open space and biodiversity and being able to do infill of building in in the city, in places that uh, reuse old buildings and, you know, keeping keeping the profile of the rims open and able to be able to walk on them, utilizing the river in a healthy way. I think important to the city of Billings um, so that people can enjoy being down by Riverfront Park, etc. So in 25 years, I'd like to see those kind of things happen here in the city. I also um, know that that means that a lot—they say that a lot more people are going to be moving into cities that are living in rural rural parts of the United States. So how do we build our cities to be more resilient for people, I guess, is the message.
0: I could not agree more. You're s- singing my tune. Good, good.
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, I won't disagree with any of that. I- I'd say um, things get more complicated you read the paper every day of the challenges that we're having in this community and and even larger my hope is that we'll continue to be able to come together as a community as the regional community and deal with the issues that need to be dealt with in a way that that neighbors do last night with uh, Mark Roscoe and Dorothy Bradley and Max Bacchus listening to the uh, the history of the Constitution This state, this country, was built on civility and working together across all kinds of lines. And so be able to listen to each other, understand that we all want the same things, and to work together, be able to work together effectively to continue to make this a great place. That's what I hope, in addition to the open space and the wonderful river. Thank
0: you. very much, Kelsey, any
2: final thoughts?
3: Well, did we miss anything? Anything else that you guys would like to
2: add or cover? Well, I just would say that um, thank you for the award. We're we're certainly uh, very humbled by it. And um, I know that both Jim and I have loved living in this community. It's important to us, important to our children. We now have one daughter that lives here. Um, and we couldn't be happier because she has two adorable little granddaughters. So,
1: yes, yeah, I, 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 The only thing I, I would add too is that the Billings Chamber has been an important part of, of, our presence here, my presence especially, and and I've really uh, admire the leadership the Chamber has had over the years. Thank you, again, thank you for this award, and it will add to our good memories of being associated with the Chamber of Commerce the Billings.
0: Thank you very much.
3: You guys are truly leaving a legacy and leading it at the same time.
0: <laughs> so before we let you go, we have a little tradition to end every episode. We ask what we call the Rorschach questions. I'm gonna hold up an ink blot in the form of a question and I'll ask for your first response. And Kelsey, if you think of it, of another question, please feel free to jump in.
2: Do we do it each each yep. one? Okay. Yep. So
0: you talked a lot about how important uh, your children have been in your lives. What's something that each of you have learned from your kids?
1: We taught them everything they know. I mean, <laughs> I think <from> no.
2: <laughs> well, the first thing that comes to my mind is, is certainly uh, uh, sort of the social stuff. Uh, what's, what's cool, what's happening the hot 100 list. Um, they, they, they keep us sort of grounded in what, what, what's important.
0: You've, uh, you've been important community leaders, but everybody has to see some other examples of, of different places to get some inspiration. What's a community you've traveled to that you really drew inspiration from?
2: I think one of the places that we've traveled to that, that is really special in our hearts is a, is a town known as Unín de los Andes in Patagonia, Argentina. And we have good friends down there, but we went, actually went down to see a Mapuche school. Um, we had a connection between a, a fellow who was an Ashoka fellow who had come to the United States and um, was working with the Mapuche Indians down in um, Patagonia, Argentina. He actually owned a fishing lodge and invited us down, and uh, we couldn't wait to get down there. And we fell in love with the town. Their street signs have Trout as the As the wooden image, and then has the name of the of the uh street on the trout, but it's a wonderful community, and one that's that is really special in our heart. It's been wonderful to watch that little town Hunin, grow through the years We've been lucky enough to go down there for the last twenty years. I think that it it re- responds to us because we love to go fly fishing to actually watch the community grow down there and watch watch the local natives become guides and, and it sort of is familiar what's happened here in Montana where a lot of local kids have turned into fishing guides.
0: Jim's there a different
2: no, one? I
1: can't say. add much, but I always say something I I'll say, uh, I'm really uh, inspired these days by what's happening on the crow reservation. And, uh, I'd have to say the crow agency, there's some neat things that are happening. And, uh, There's an organization down there called Plenty Doors that's a CDFI, and they have just been a part of this coalition of CDFIs that have got some support. They're going to be able to build in. They're uh, doing economic education, entrepreneurial education. So locally, I'd have to say the trajectory that I see happening down there is inspiring. Kelsey,
0: you have a question that pops into your mind?
3: (laughs) Well, as busy working professionals and those that are, you know, so heavily involved in our community, um, what do you guys like to do the most to relax or have fun?
2: Well, we both enjoy bird watching. Uh, our kids used to laugh at us because we'd be in the car and we'd go, oh, and then they say, well, what, what's going on? And we had just seen a hawk of some sort. Um, but we both enjoy doing that. And we've been lucky enough to do that all over the world. Um, uh, I think that both of us just enjoy being with our grandchildren, too. That's a lot of fun for us. That's something that's just happened in the last couple of years.
1: Chris mentioned the trout down in Argentina. I'd have to say that uh, we both love to uh, be on the river and, and, uh, and catch and release trout.
3: Fishing's a great pastime, hmm. a good way to relax and unplug a little bit from our technology and daily lives.
0: Thank you both very much for joining us today. This has been fantastic. Thank you. Thank you so much to Jim and Chris for joining us today. And thank you again to Payne West for sponsoring annual meeting and this episode. If you'd like to advertise with us, suggest a topic, or ask a question, please feel free to email us at podcast at billingschamber.com. Don't forget to rate us on your preferred platform and subscribe to Chambercast wherever you get your podcasts because there is something here for everyone.